Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello, it's Mike Williams again, and uh, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, We sure hope these thoughts help you and provide value. So listen, today we're going to call this, Be Careful What You Wish For. I want to take you back in time for a second, and I want you to remember the summer of 2008. During that summer, crude oil went to $148 a barrel. The media was frenzied in its ability to trip over each other in telling you how bad that was and how bad every dollar more higher was going to be and how really bad $200 oil was going to be, and how bad $300 oil was going to be, and how we were going to be ruled by OPEC. I mean, that was the deal in 2008. And what did we wish for? We just prayed to God that we could get some cheaper oil, and that gas wouldn't cost us $10 a gallon. And guess what? Our prayers were answered. Believe it or not, snapshot forward, 2016, complete demolition of the oil business. And you know what? We got exactly what we wished for. And guess what? We're now being told that's bad for us too. (laughs) Okay, so, um, so look, get this. This podcast being done on Leap Year Day. It's February 29th. We're in the middle of finishing the, the month of February in the markets. And, and I checked, by the way, we've, we've got two months down and 10 to go in this horrible year of 2016. But it's confirmed the United States, China, Greece, the pigs, all of Europe, Japan, Australia, South America, all the bad places, none of us has fallen into the ocean and been swallowed by a black hole. None of us. I have not been able to find that report yet, so I think we are okay. By the way, for listeners of the podcast, we've done a a video update. You are welcome to ask for that video update, free of charge. Send a little thing asking for our latest video update to info at genesisam.com, info at genesisam.com. Happy to send you a link. You can watch it. It's all about fear and the dreadful cost and damage caused by fear over time. Oddly enough, even as we have these first two months of 2016, and gosh knows years from now, the history books are going to talk about how bad it was and how ugly it was and how dreadful the market was and how dreadful the future looked. But as the bears grunt and sniff over supposedly dead parts of both U.S. and global economies, the data in recent weeks, while, as you might guess, was hidden by terrible headlines, has not been all that bad for a rest stop, if you will. Remember, podcast listeners are going to know we refer to this period we're living through right now as a a rest stop along a long trip up a mountain. That's the way it looks over time. So 
while it's been hidden, let's first cover the ugly stuff, okay? No surprise here, of course, anything with the word energy in its company name, uses, business units, or product lines remains radioactive. It's, it's over, guys. I mean, that's the perception, right? It's never going to recover. This, even as I suspect some of the big boys in the financial world are already positioning plans for large blocks of shares for purchase of key entities that are likely to survive the admitted carnage. The thesis, of course, is that OPEC's going to starve us out. They're going to crush our fracking industry and oil will spurt back up to $100 plus in no time flat. My thought on this, of course, it's been written many times, pure fantasy. So since we warned people, oh, about a year in advance of any of what was to come in energy and the reasons why, which, by the way, have all turned out to be true, some of the largest producers have already fed into the very hand we've been covering for many months now. But get this, technology and fracking are teaming up to far outpace the processes that OPEC is counting on. In fact, the latest data show very clearly that a massive and growing number of wells are being completed and capped as capital budgets are conserved. The number is now beyond 5,000 wells. But here's the thing. Now, by the way, what does it mean to be capped? Well, they're drilled. They just haven't been fracked and pumped. Okay, They're, they're capped. They're drilled. The deposits are found but they cap them. Why? Because they're not getting paid enough to bring the oil out of the ground, just like any other commodity. But in the fine print of these reports, it's clear, quote, and I quote here, these wells will be capped, productive, and profitable for us in the low to mid 40s. What does that mean? In essence, it's now clear that returns upwards of 25 to 30 percent on capital will be seen by frackers, many of them, at somewhere around $42 to $44 a barrel. And you know what happens when we get to that price? If we can bounce up to that price, the market will flood itself with oil again. Thousands of wells will come online. OPEC hasn't figured that out yet. But listen, the remake of the industry will have completely different pricing frameworks in the future. Not just from fracking, mind you. The death knell for what we used to refer as to as the crude industry is being sounded from many areas, many different channels are working against oil, wind, hydrogen, solar, electric, even new nuclear processes, and the list goes on. There's mounting evidence that the tectonic shift we have written about for two years is indeed coming to fruition. So just as the title notes, be careful what you wish for. Remember, we wished for this when oil was $148 a barrel. So what about that better data I told you was hidden by the headlines? Uh, well, our friend Dr. Ed reminds us of a few things that have been overlooked. We should all know by now that the, the year started with a quick mental spiral, that the world was ending again. I mean, we've heard it for months, right? The world's ending. We just got to figure out how to survive in it while it ends. So here's his quotes. This year started out badly for stocks around the world on mounting concerns that the global economy was falling into a recession and dragging the U.S. down with it. 
But last week, we learned that U.S. durable goods orders increased 4.9% during January, the very strongest since March of last year, well before the end of the world chance began again. In addition, both real and personal income consumption rose 5%, excuse me, half a percent, 0.5% during the month to fresh record highs. Now get that, record high real personal income. Record high real personal income. And record high personal real consumption. In other words, while the headlines were telling us about the end of the world, underneath all that crap, the new year began with solid economic growth in the U.S. The Atlanta Fed has a GDP Now tracker that seems to be able to tell us what GDP is really doing in its current quarter, and that's up to 2.1%. By the way, that's on top of an upwardly revised slow period in December. Okay? According to the GDP Now website, the forecast for first quarter real consumer spending increased from 3.1% to 3.5% following the latest personal income released by the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. That's a healthy mix of strong final demand, with some of it coming out of inventories, which, remember, when we pull down on inventory, it suggests better times ahead for production. Which, by the way, production also rose almost a full percent month over month during January. That's a pretty good annual clip, even if you have some ups and downs. The Citigroup Economic Surprise Index has made, indeed, a surprising recovery. It started out the year at minus 55.7, but it's bounced off, bounced off that low, and it's all the way up to minus 21. So what's the bottom line here? In the latest data, there is no hint of a recession or an ice age in the latest economic data coming out of the U.S. economy. Isn't that the most compelling part of the information? There is no hint of a recession in the latest economic indicators. Let me tell you, recessions don't arrive overnight. There's signs of them. They come slowly, and then they become self-fulfilling. Even while bears are still on the hunt and black swans are flapping their wings madly, they're covering the horizon one might be better off listening to some of the comments out of the most recent Warren Buffett annual shareholder update. It came out this weekend. You can Google it, by the way. But here's some of his thoughts. In it, Warren kind of dismisses completely the growing refrain that the U.S. economy will fail to provide a better lifestyle for future generations than it has in the past. As the 2016 presidential campaign kicks into high gear, high levels of debt, stagnant earnings, which by the way is normal along the way, and income inequality are frequently mentioned by candidates. Remember, politics 101 is this, how to get elected. Grab a group of people, remind them of how things used to be great. Remind them of those times when they were young and the world didn't seem so terrible. Then tell them who's to blame for all this, whatever this is, and then say, you're the fix. So look, Warren put it this way, it's an election year, and candidates can't stop speaking about our country's problems, which, of course, only they can solve. 
As a result of this negative drumbeat, many Americans now believe that their children will not live as well as they themselves do. That view is dead wrong. The babies being born in America today are the luckiest crop in history. Warren goes on to highlight that U.S. data shows U.S. per capita growth is six times higher than it was in 1930, the year of his birth. Those gains are the byproduct of productivity and efficient work. As he goes on to state, U.S. citizens are not intrinsically more intelligent today, nor do they work harder than did Americans in 1930. Rather, they work far more efficiently and thereby produce far more than we did then. Buffett adds, this all-powerful trend is certain to continue. America's economic magic remains alive and well. The U.S.'s surging entitlement spending and its seemingly intractable debt have stoked widespread concerns about insolvency and the inability of the federal government to meet its future obligations. Buffett, however, was hearing none of it, and I quote, For 240 years, it's been a terrible and dreadfully unprofitable mistake to bet against America, and now is no time to start. So in summary, what do we think about all this? It's a simple question, really. Who do you think is best to side with as we glance ahead into the mystic and cloudy future? By the way, the future is always cloudy. It's our perception of it to change. Should we believe the nervous Nellies, the doomsday gang, the black swan hunters, and the bear camp? Along with all those who were just weeks ago feverishly selling all of their stocks before a few days of bounce? Do we side with the people who better understand that to get to the top of the mountain of the wealth-building charts that show these grand returns over many decades, to get those long-term rewards and put them into our accounts and meet our wealth-building goals, those that understand that you need to go through all those terrible tough times to get to the top of the mountain are the ones we're probably better off siding with. So think about it again. Who do you think is best to side with as we glance into the future? All the ones that tell us the world is over like they have it many times in the past or those that have built real wealth for decades. Think about that. Hope these thoughts have been helpful. Hope they sink in and provide you some value. Until we see you again on the next podcast, May your journey be grand and your legacy significant. Thanks again and have a great day.